Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. In this episode, a recording from the 2014 Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference, which was held at NUI Maynooth. The conference, now in its fourth year, was generously supported by the UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research, Marsh's Library, Graduate Studies at NUI Maynooth, and the Department of History at NUI Maynooth. This podcast features a paper by Dr. Karen Holland of Providence College. Her paper was entitled, Ensuring the Quiet of the Country, Elizabeth I and Joan Fitzgerald, Countess of Desmond. Um, For those of you who uh, attended Damien Duffy's uh, presentation earlier uh, today, um, I will be discussing uh, Margaret's equally powerful daughter-in-law this afternoon, um, Joan Fitzgerald. Um, In January 1562, after the most recent incident in the hereditary Desmond Ormond feud, Elizabeth I summoned the disputants Gerald Fitzgerald, 15th Earl of Desmond, and Thomas Butler, 10th Earl of Ormond, to England. When Desmond, after considerable prevarication, eventually arrived in London, Elizabeth, quote, sequestered him from his liberty, end quote. With the Earl detained in London, it was necessary for the Queen to find a way to maintain peace in turbulent Munster. And significantly, she looked to another woman to do so. In a letter to Desmond's wife, Joan, Elizabeth acknowledged the Countess's powerful position in the lordship during her husband's absence and granted Joan the authority to ensure, quote, the quiet of the country until Desmond's return. The Queen had good reason to believe that Joan was both willing and competent to accomplish her mandate, as Joan had recently acted as a peacemaker at the Battle of Bohemond and was, more importantly, not only the wife of Desmond, but also the mother of Ormond. Elizabeth's confidence in and admonition to Joan, however, were ultimately unsuccessful in preventing the outbreak of hostilities in the Desmond territories during Gerald's detention. Born in the southwest of Ireland in the early 16th century, Joan Fitzgerald was the only legitimate offspring of James Fitzgerald, the 11th Earl of Desmond, and his Irish wife. In 1532, shortly after her father's death, the young heiress married James Butler, the future ninth Earl of Ormond and son of Margaret Butler, and one of her family's traditional adversaries. After 14 years of marriage, Ormond died in London under questionable circumstances, leaving Joan a wealthy widow with seven young sons to raise, the eldest being Thomas, the future 10th Earl. The Countess was soon remarried to an Englishman, Sir Francis Bryan, who in 1549 became Lord Justice of Ireland. Less than two years later, Joan was again a widow. Though 20 years his senior, Joan was married for a third time to Gerald Fitzgerald, the future 15th Earl of Desmond, within three months of Brian's death. Near contemporaries in age, Joan's husband, Gerald, and her son, Thomas, represented the new generation of combatants in the family's age-old feud over the title to lands in Limerick and Tipperary and the presage of wines. In the summer of 1560, the conflicting territorial claims between Desmond and Ormond, quote, had developed into a declaration of battle and a promise of conflict. According to the unpublished Geraldine documents, the occasion of the discord and that which thoroughly inflamed the ambitious minds of those earls was for mutual taking of praise and also concerning mirroring and boundaring their several patrimonies, which lay partly the one bordering upon the others. 
Located on the Limerick-Tipperary border, the manors in dispute were Clonmel, Kilshaleen, and Kilfakel, which constituted Joan's dowry on her marriage to James Butler. As Anne Chambers notes, the Desmonds believed that they had received Joan's dowry lands back when she married Gerald. Therefore, as Joan's husband, Gerald claimed the rent from the three manors. On the other hand, the young Earl of Ormond regarded himself as the proper administrator of his mother's possessions, and he refused to pay. Gerald attempted to exact the rents by force. Ormond responded by invading Desmond's lands. Gerald retaliated by denying Ormond passage through Desmond territory to collect his presage of wines at Yall and Kinsale. Quote, as the nobles were not able to terminate their dispute, Desmond and Ormond agreed to appoint a certain time for deciding the affair by a battle, and the place of battle which they selected was Bohemore, which was located on the Limerick-Tipperary borders. Quote, Desmond, as my father told me, who was then present serving under him, brought into the field at that time 4,000 foot and 750 horse, and the Earl of Ormond came also thither, with no less preparations. These strong competitors, for a space of 14 days, confronted one another in open field, and yet came not to battle, contrary to both their desires, but were by the discretion and mediation of certain great lords, and especially by the intercession and procurement of the Countess of Desmond, reconciled and made friends at that time. It is in this account, written soon after the event by the son of a Desmond retainer, that Joan is specifically introduced in the role of peacemaker between her husband and her son. It seems certain that Joan's part in the negotiations and settlement was significant, for if credit for maintaining peace could have been given to one of the curiously unnamed great lords there present, instead of to a woman, it certainly would have been. Later popular historians have presented a picture of Joan, quote, the heart-stricken wife of one leader and mother of the other, riding between her husband's and her son's camps, begging those whom she so loved to come to some agreement and live in peace. Finally, as the annals record, quote, the great God sent the angel of peace to them so that Concord was established. For having reflected on the dreadful consequences of the battle, they parted without a single blow. Joan was no doubt the personification of the angel of peace. After the two-week standoff, both sides agreed to a truce. The Battle of Bohemore, as the July 1516 battle, which was never fought, has come to be known, was over. However, the semblance of peace and cooperation which Joan had successfully brokered between the two earls lasted for little more than a year. Ormond's ambush of Desmond as he returned from the Queen's service in the summer of 1561, provided the catalyst for the renewal of the skirmishing between the two. In November, Lord Deputy Sussex wrote to Elizabeth informing her of the resumption of the dispute and suggesting that some speedy action be taken in England for the Earl's reformation. Sussex believed that in order to ensure the better government of Ireland, it was necessary to take away all occasions of contention between the Earls of Ormond and Desmond and to cause them to be obedient to the law. Heeding Sussex's advice, Elizabeth intervened and summoned Gerald and Thomas to England in January of 1562. Gerald, however, did not respond to the Queen's summons, nor did he modify his behavior. In early February, Ormond wrote to Sussex, complaining that the Earl of Desmond, quote, had burned a good town and much corn. 
Later in the month, Desmond and his uncle Morris were reported to be at hot wars in Munster. Sussex's replacement, Lord Justice Fitzwilliam, believed that this action was only a pretext on their part to provide Gerald with an excuse for failing to travel to London. In March, Gerald again moved against Thomas, capturing one of his servants near Limerick and confiscating the 500 pounds in his possession. At the end of March, Gerald and Thomas met with Fitzwilliam at Waterford, and Gerald was made to realize the seriousness of his position. Nearly three months had passed since the Queen demanded his presence, and he had made no preparation to go to England, only vague excuses for his absence. The Earl of Desmond finally arrived in London four months after the Queen's summons. Quote, being charged before the council with openly defying the law in Ireland, he answered contumaciously and refused to apologize, according to Bagwell. An angered Elizabeth responded by placing Gerald in the custody of the English Lord Treasurer. In the midst of the crisis, Joan wrote from Yule to the Queen's secretary, William Cecil, and to Queen Elizabeth. Both letters sought support for a property suit by a Desmond retainer and a license for provisions for Joan's, quote, poor house. The Countess concluded her appeal to Cecil with a reminder of their past friendship, beseeching your honor therein to stand my good friend as I have ever found you. It is difficult to determine if these letters simply reflect Joan's desire to put her household in order during her husband's absence. After all, she had been left to manage the Desmond estates while her husband was in England. Or, as Flynn argues, was Joan endeavoring in an indirect fashion to bring herself to the recollection of Cecil and the Queen, hoping to win some favor for her errant husband. Six weeks after Gerald's departure for England, Joan was informed of his detention. In June, Lord Justice Fitzwilliam forwarded a copy of a letter he had received from London concerning Gerald's, quote, present restraint. Shortly thereafter, the council also wrote to Joan, informing her of her husband's circumstances. Praising Joan for her wisdom and discretion, the council in the Queen's name admonished her to endeavor to maintain the peace in Desmond during Gerald's absence. By the close of 1562, Joan had further received a letter from the Queen herself, explaining the causes for which the Earl had been sequestered. While Elizabeth and Gerald were the near contemporaries in age, the tone of the Queen's letter to Joan hints at a friendship and shared disapproval of Gerald's behavior. Though there were opportunities for the Countess to have met the young Princess Elizabeth while in London prior to her marriage to Sir Francis Bryan in 1548, or to have met the newly crowned queen when Gerald was granted his lordship in 1559, there is no confirmation of such a meeting. Still, the queen addresses Joan in a familiar fashion as her right, dear, and well-beloved cousin and expresses her seemingly sincere regret for having, quote, no better occasion to write unto you at this time of any other matter than that which we think you shall mislike. Knowing her words and actions will upset the countess, Elizabeth wants Joan to realize that Gerald is to blame for much of his present distress. Had Desmond appeared before the Queen when he was called and had his controversies with Ormond mediated, both earls would have been promptly returned to Ireland. Quote, but your husband Desmond hath been so evil, not only in manifest breaking of our laws in that realm and in, and in contempting our authority, as well by refusing to come, that Elizabeth could not simply pardon his behavior. 
The queen then assured Joan that though Gerald was being sequestered, he was well provided for. Hopefully, Gerald's attainment would allow him, quote, to see his own willfulness and disobedience and to give us some occasion to show him that favor and mercy that from the beginning we intended and yet do if he do not pro provoke us with continuance of his obstinacy contrary to our desire. Having reassured Joan of Gerald's well-being, Elizabeth's letter, like that of the council, next addressed the problem of maintaining peace in Desmond. With Gerald detained in London, Elizabeth acknowledged that the countess, quote, had charge and rule of his country and lands during his absence. And the queen hoped that Joan would see peace kept in the country, pointing out that if assistance was required, Joan should call upon the present Lord Justice or the new Lord Lieutenant upon his arrival. In addition to instructing Joan to call upon the royal representatives in Ireland, the queen further intended to maintain peace in Desmond by issuing orders to the Earl's neighbors to refrain from hostilities during Gerald's absence. To this end, the council had written to the Earls of Clanricard and Thurmond, the Lord Barrymore, the Lord Roach, the Lord Fitzmaurice, McCormick, and Sir Maurice Fitzgerald, quote, that they and any of them shall observe and keep the tenor of the former proclamations concerning the Queen's Majesty's peace and all other good order within their several rules until the return of the said Earl. This was not the first time that the Tudor administration had entrusted Joan with the government of Irish lands. After the death of her first husband in 1546, the council in Ireland had issued an order committing the government of counties Kilkenny and Tipperary to Joan, her brother-in-law Richard Butler, and others. Significantly, in this second instance, a more mature and experienced countess received the sole commission from the queen to rule Desmond without male support. Certainly, Gerald's brother, Sir John of Desmond, might have been considered to rule jointly with Joan. However, in the intervening 16 years, the Countess had built a reputation in Ireland and England as a woman to be reckoned with through her actions in the public domain. Official correspondence between the two governments even recorded that Joan inspired fear among the English in Ireland. Joan furthered her unsavory reputation when, contrary to the Queen's explicit instructions, she did not solicit the aid of the Irish Viceroy, but rather turned to her husband's brother, Sir John, for support in ruling Munster. As their Desmond overlord was restrained in London, Joan and John may have concluded that the most effective strategy to maintain the peace was to impress Gerald's subordinates with the military strength the two could bring to bear against them. As a result of their actions, Sussex, now Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, wrote to Elizabeth in March of 1563 to inform Her Majesty that Nicholas Heron, the Sheriff of Carlow, and Edward Fitzsimon had delivered, quote, a perfect book of the hurts committed by the Countess of Desmond and John Desmond's brother and their men. Heron and Fitzsimon had been appointed commissioners to report on conditions in Munster. It was their finding, quote, that the hurts committed in these parts have been chiefly done by the Countess and John and their men, and that Lord Roach, Lord Barry, Sir Morris, McCormick, and other noble gentlemen in these parts um, who have received great hurt have not attempted any revenge thereof. As the breach of the proclamation hath proceeded only from the Earl's side, and as John of Desmond refused to appear before the commissioners, Sussex and the council recommended three measures to Elizabeth to reestablish the quiet in Munster. 
Despite Joan's active involvement in these raids, two of these suggestions still required her cooperation and participation. In addition, these recommendations suggested that Joan alone possessed the power to see them fulfilled. First, it was proposed that the Queen solicit Gerald's aid in ordering his wife and brother to end the violence. Barring that, Elizabeth should write secretly to Joan, reminding her of her allegiance to the Queen and commanding her to prevent any of Gerald's subordinates from engaging in warfare. Lastly, if John of Desmond could not be convinced to maintain the peace, then Joan should see to his arrest by any means necessary. At approximately the same time that Elizabeth was writing to Joan to explain Gerald's confinement, the Earl submitted to the Queen. On June 18, 1562, Gerald agreed to acknowledge Elizabeth and her laws and to assist the bishop in furthering the Protestant religion in Ireland. Gerald also requested the intercession of the council and Sussex to procure his pardon. One month later, on July the 21st, the patent rolls record the royal pardon of Gerald, Earl of Desmond. But by the beginning of the new year, Gerald, though pardoned, was still being detained. In February of 1563, Desmond signed a treaty with Elizabeth in return for his promise to pay his dues to the crown, maintain English law and order within Desmond, and abolish Gaelic law and practice, Gerald was to, quote, repair to Dublin in the company of Sir Thomas Cusack, and there remain until he shall have obtained license to depart for his own country. He shall send for the countess his wife and such others of his country as the Lord Lieutenant should think proper to be bounded for the performance of these conditions. Elizabeth's government again recognized Joan's position within Desmond by its request that she act as one of the sureties for her husband's compliance to the terms of the treaty. Most often, sureties were subordinate male members of the offender's family who were backed by the military power necessary to ensure that the agreement was fulfilled. The Queen and her council obviously felt certain that Joan would continue to be successful in influencing Gerald's future actions as she had been in the past. The Earl of Desmond was finally released from the Crown's custody and returned to Ireland in late 1563. For nearly two years, his Countess had assumed both political and military responsibilities in his lordship at the behest of her queen. In an age when female authority was challenged, Elizabeth certainly saw abilities comparable to her own in Joan, which also fitted her for rule. Yet in the, own, in the end, Joan did not feel compelled to maintain the peace in Munster through the recommended diplomatic and political channels. Disregarding her sovereign's instructions, Joan acted in what she believed to be the most expedient fashion, intervening militarily to exact the compliance of her husband's subordinates. Even with her personal knowledge of the consequences of failing to honor royal commands, Joan chose to, quote, ensure the quiet of Munster on her own terms. Thank you. Thank you.